0: You owe it to yourself this morning. If you are here, you owe it to yourself this morning to go ahead and assume uh, that the word of God is about to be spoken, to go ahead and assume that there's literally a creator of the universe, that there's literally a creator that created you, that created this world, that gave us his word and then gave us the ministry uh, to project his word into the earth. You owe it to yourself to believe in God this morning. To give yourself a few moments and assume, you know what? God has called me to this place this morning to speak directly to me. Directly to me. That's for everybody in the room. God has called me this morning to speak directly to me. You have walked into the doors of a spirit-filled church, and we do not proclaim to be anybody. Look around the room. We're obviously not a huge, uh, like, blow-your-socks-off, like, amazing mega church ministry But we're here. We believe in the spirit of God. You've walked in the doors this morning. You're already here. You owe it to yourself to go ahead and assume, you know what? I haven't really believed in God the way that I should believe in God up to this point. Make it a point right now to believe in God that way. Look to the person to your left and look at the person to your right and assume that God is as real as the individual sitting next to you this morning. And that he has called you here in order to speak directly to your heart this morning. Open yourself up to receive. Part of this, some of you guys have heard, the Wednesday night crowd. Uh, Don't tune me out because we're going over some of the same scripture. Listen for something new. God is ready to speak a right now, rhema word into your life. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5. We're going to start in verse number 11. Acts chapter 5 and 11. This scripture follows a story, a sometimes difficult to understand story in the Bible. The Holy Ghost has just been given for the very first time in the way of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Everybody say Holy Ghost. Everybody say Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has just been given. The church has exploded, uh, despite the the uh, the opening. Um, paragraph of of many of today's popular christian books that jesus began the church with 12 or 13 people and had a small gathering and a small following and god isn't moving in the mega crowds or big groups of people despite that radical thought the reality is when the church was born it was in acts chapter 2 and it started it, it, it immediately grabbed 3000 people the very first church that was ever started was started with 3000 people so here we have a large, huge, uh, radical following... Of God and the way that he reached down and grabbed those people out of nowhere and, gra- and, and got the attention of 3,000 people was he found a real good media guy, he found an amazing artist, he made these crazy cool t-shirts, he made amazing flyers, he posted them everywhere, they had the newest business cards, they were out in the community, they were grilling hot dogs and hamburgers, they were giving food away, they were giving cars away, they were giving iPads away, they had a friend day and the person that brought the most friends that's not how he did any of it. He had a few guys gathered together in the upper room and he told them, I am about to start a church. What I need you to do is wait for about 50 days. Well, God, what are you going to do in these 50 days? Are you going to try to get some real good deals at the local printer? Are you starting a Facebook page? Are you getting the social media network together? Are you going to Instagram and tweet and Snapchat and everything else in the world for 50 days? Or are you going to build up a lot of momentum in the community? Is there anything that we can do? And please understand, I'm not downplaying any of this. None of this is in my notes either. So just try to receive it. And God said, no, actually, uh, what I'm going to do is give you an opportunity to pray for 50 days. Okay. Pray for 50 days. Okay, but you understand that it's we're in the middle of the basketball playoffs, NBA, right? Uh-huh. I need you to find some time to pray for these next 50 days. Well, you understand that the fo- football season's about to start. Yeah, there's no flat screen in the upper room. I just need you to pray for 50 days. I'll do you a solid. I'll heal Peyton Manning's neck so you can watch him next year. 50 days. I need you to pray. 50 days. Well, God, you realize, yeah, I realize life goes on, but I need you to pray for 50 days. And this is your master plan about how to build a church. Mm hmm. Okay. We'll pray. Then what are you going to do? I'm going to give you the promise of the father. Are you going to restore the kingdom at this time to Israel? This is just following the rhetoric of Acts chapter one. They didn't really even understand what the promise was. He'd been trying to tell them for three and a half years and they were still stuck on. He's going to build this amazing. Building. He's going to restore this amazingly powerful kingdom. And he's saying that was never the promise. Just wait for 50 days. And God's going to deliver you a promise. I wonder what that promise looks like. I bet it's t-shirts. Lots and lots of t-shirts. Like hundreds of thousands. You realize if we gave out 100,000 t-shirts, how many people would be here next week? Ten. Just by the way, ten people. Okay. So what is he going to do? I mean, what's the secret? So they waited for 50 days, and what God gave them Was the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when the baptism of the Holy Ghost was given. Which must be something specific. Because up to this point there had never been this type of reaction. To the Spirit of God. When the Holy Ghost was given. Men from every surrounding nation were confounded. How do we hear every man preaching the gospel in our own tongue. And there's at least 70 different languages present. And then Peter stood up with the keys of the kingdom. They were pricked in the heart. They said, what must we do? We've seen this Holy Ghost that was given. And we're not. All that we know is that we don't have that. And it's obviously real. And it obviously comes from God. And we need it. What do we need to do? And Peter gave him a real easy three-step plan. Repent, be baptized, you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2, 38. Well, how many people get to have this gift? It's for you and your children and as many as far off as the Lord our God shall call until 1876. No, until 1892. No, until 1905. No, until 1942. No, until last year. Or maybe uh, he didn't bookend it because it's forever. This is my plan. right. The point I really want to get to this morning is then they go through a few chapters. Walking in this mode with this gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they're seeing signs, they're seeing wonders, they're seeing miracles. And we get to Acts chapter five and the scripture that I'm about to read you precedes a story. Where in the midst of their amazing good time. Thousands of people being added to the church every day. They were operating in the spirit and they were the next big thing. And then uh, two people named Ananias and Sapphira. They decide. That they're going to do. Hatch a plan, do a certain thing, try to receive some glory and also withhold from God. It's a it's a it's a whole story in and of itself that we're probably not going to explain this morning, but just suffice it to say they lied to the Holy Ghost, and they drop dead on the spot, and that is not a portion of Scripture that's real popular to talk about in church, but it happened, and there are good reasons why it happened. You don't have to worry about it happening to you. In verse number 11, we see the results. We see the why. Why in the midst of the good times did God allow this thing to happen? Acts chapter 5, verse number 11. So let me try to put this in context of your life. How many of you have ever had good times? How many of you have ever had those good times interrupted by a bad thing? How many of you, and this will be a rhetorical question, don't raise your hand on this one. There are many of you probably, and if I'm speaking according to the spirit, there are many of us in the room right now, that are in the midst of one of those obstacles. You were having good times. Life was good. Relationships were good. Money was good. Things were good. Overall, mentality was good. Emotionally, I was good. And then this thing happened. Maybe it's definable. Maybe it's an actual moment in time. Maybe it's something you can point to. This happened to me. This happened to so-and-so. Maybe something just doesn't feel right. There's got to be a reason. Maybe you feel like God is far from you. Maybe you're questioning in your heart. Does God still love me? Did I do something wrong? Did I offend God? Am I not praying enough? Am I not reading enough? Am I not worshiping enough? Why is God so far from me? Am I done? Will I never get back to that place that I was with God once upon a time? Nobody in the room knows what I did, but God knows what I did. There are no skeletons in the closet when God opens the door. Will I never recover? Can he not trust me? I don't know what the questions are or the reasoning is in your mind, but I want to help you this morning. You want the good times back? You want to let the good times roll again? You want the blessings back in your life? Then you've got to understand what is the reason that God has allowed the hedge of protection to be let down? Acts chapter 5, verse number 11. Directly following the Ananias and Sapphira story, verse number 11 says, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Verse number 13 of the rest, dared no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both the men and women. So somehow, God used this negative experience of Ananias and Sapphira to continue to add to the church, but there's a prerequisite. There's a requirement, and it's verse number 11. Great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Great fear came upon the church. Great fear came upon the church. What does that mean for me and you? It means the Holy Ghost was poured out. People were speaking in tongues. The tongues were being interpreted. Sick people were laid out all over the floor. Could you imagine if you walked into the sanctuary this morning and there were people in wheelchairs at the back, people with crutches up front, people that couldn't walk, blind people on the right side, deaf people on the left side. And we were preaching and we were walking by and we were laying hands and the blind were receiving their sight. And we were laying hands over here and the deaf were receiving their ability to hear. And we were laying hands on the people in the wheelchairs and the people in crutches. And they were dropping their crutches and they were getting up out of the wheelchairs. And this started happening on a daily or a weekly basis. Could you imagine? Can you imagine with me for a second? Imagine with me for a second. Close your eyes and imagine, imagine this place differently. Imagine that's what was going on. Could you imagine the hype? Could you imagine uh, the, the charisma, if you will? Can you imagine the excitement in the air, knowing that when you walked into a place, when you opened the doors of the church, that the sick people were going to come in and get healed? You can open your eyes. Just imagine the glory. Imagine the revival. Imagine the good times. And then in the midst of the good times, God would have to do something to allow fear to come back on the church. Why does he have to do that? Because sometimes when the when the blessings roll in and when the good times are marching on, we get caught up in the blessings and we forget to magnify or respect the blesser. God is not interested And you receiving what you need in this life at the expense of things in the next life. Nor is he interested in you receiving things in this life at the expense of his own glory. Great fear came upon all the church. What does that fear mean? That doesn't mean I'm scared. That doesn't mean I'm running away scared because I'm fearful for my life. That doesn't mean I've just watched all four or five or however many paranormal activities there are out there now. And I've scared myself half to death and can't get off my couch. It doesn't mean that I'm horrified. It doesn't mean that I've entered into the spirit of fear. It means respect. It means reverence. The fear of the Lord. Amen. The fear of the Lord came upon all the church. The fear of the Lord came upon all the church because for a moment they had to remember when Ananias and Sapphira uh, dropped dead at their feet. They had to remember for a moment. We are not playing. With a lighthearted matter here. This is not just a game. This is not for our own gain. And this is not all about feeling good and speaking good and having a good time. This is all done to glorify God. This is all done to glorify God. I want to share with you a little secret. If you've decided at any point in your life that you're going to be a Christian. When you accepted God, you accepted a different set of rules. A different set of rules. If you want to live absent from God. Solomon said it. Other authors of the Bible said it. I believe Peter said it, that it shines on the the just and the unjust. Solomon spoke about good men not receiving blessings and evil men seeming to receive blessings. The Bible says the children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of the light. What do all these things mean? It means when people are living for the devil, when people are living for the world, They can gather riches and blessings to themselves, and it can be about them. It can be about what they gained. It means Donald Trump can hang up a sign behind his wall, behind his desk that says, Master of the Universe. Which he did. And that's okay because it's all about Donald Trump. But the moment that Donald Trump says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then all of that becomes about God. And God takes you at your word, my friend. God takes you at your word. In other words, when you decided to be a Christian, he has assumed that you would like to go to heaven. He has assumed that you have accepted the sacrifice of his dear son. When Trent came up to the altar one day and lifted his hands up and fell down on his knees and says, Lord Jesus Christ, Would you please allow your Holy Spirit to come live inside of me? I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you were buried and on the third day that you resurrected. I believe that you are sitting in heaven at the right hand of God. I believe that you are my Lord and Savior. There was a party up in heaven. All of the angels rejoiced because a lost sheep returned home and God threw out the red carpet and he threw out the robe and he put the ring on his finger and said, My son, my son, my daughter, my daughter, I'm assuming that you want everything that I have for you. I'm assuming that now you're putting me first and I'm assuming that everything in your life that is good will glorify me in return. And the moment that the blessings begin to derail you, I will snatch them back. I promise you, my son, I promise you, my daughter, I will not bless you back into this world. I won't let it overtake you. I've got some gifts for you. I'm going to allow you to speak in tongues. But the moment that you are proud that you are able to speak in tongues, I'll take it back. The moment that you are proud that you can lay hands on on the sick people and watch them get healed, I'll take it back. Because pride comes before the fall. The moment that you have a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom and you become proud in that thing, I'll take it back. Because pride comes before the fall. The moment that you look at your marriage and go, man, look at this great relationship that my wife and I have developed. Look at how good we are at marriage. Look at how good we are at loving each other. Look at this amazing little life that we've built because we're so responsible, because we're so uh, kind hearted, because we're so full of love. Let us be the example for you. Look at this amazing thing. The moment that you do that, I promise you I'll let let it begin to fall apart. So that you don't get caught up in your own pride. The moment that you become so proud of the son and the daughter that you raised to be so successful and you forget about the fact that I've kept them from dying every single day, that they're healthy because you prayed once upon a time that they would be healthy, that they're able to uh, attain that success because I allow it. The moment that it becomes about what an amazing job you did and you begin to leave me out of the picture, I promise I will let it fall apart. The moment that the church begins to rejoice in the greatness of the church, I promise I will give you an Ananias. I promise I will give you a Sapphira. I promise I will sit you back down and great fear will return to the church, to your life. Proverbs 1 and 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The blessings of the Lord are the beginning of knowledge. No. The good times are the beginning. No. Salvation is the beginning. No. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. Great fear came upon all the church. And upon as many as heard these things, the fear is coupled with the term of hearing. And there's a reason for that. And it's real simple. The book of Romans tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's go back to Proverbs one, seven again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge how do we ascertain any knowledge about God and therefore equate it to any fear of the Lord that we might have? The way that we attain that is through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If we have decided to disrespect the word of God, we have also decided to disrespect the author of the word of God, which is God himself. If we have no healthy relationship with his word, there's a possibility that we're lacking in the fear. Of the Lord, the respect the admonition, the recognition, the reverence of God. Because we have no access to His Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. There's a slightly covered up mystery in that little scripture, just barely tucked underneath the surface, that we're all going to be able to figure out as soon as you might have figured it out already. As soon as I say it, it'll make perfect sense. But there is something that must happen if we're going to hear the word of God. You know what that thing is? It must be spoken. If you're going to hear it, it must be spoken. Why is that such a big deal to God? There's power in that. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. When God created the universe... He spoke. And it came into being. When he gave us his Bible, he called it his word when he called it the sword of the spirit. Do we remember that the word of God is the sword of the spirit? And the Bible says in the book of Revelation, when Christ returns, he's on a white horse and out of his mouth comes what? A two edged sword. Because the sword of the spirit is meant to be projected from the mouth of the prophets. The word of God needs to be spoken into the earth. Spoken into the earth. Go with me for a second. I'm going to follow this line of thinking. I need you to pay attention for a moment. It's not terribly, terribly deep, but possibly a little bit. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, I believe, around the third or fourth verse, that through faith, the worlds were created, and by the word of God, they were framed. In the Hebrew understanding, it's, it actually tells us that by the word of God, the universe itself is framed or reframed. Let me tell you why that's important. The Jewish people believe. Actually, let's just scratch that. Let me just tell you, when God spoke things into existence, he used a language and the language that he revealed to Moses, the language that he used was the Hebrew language. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew language, and that's for a purpose. And that's for a reason. According to the word of God, if you believe that, the entire universe came into being through the spoken language that God used. When he said, let there be light, and he said it in the Hebrew language, there's some type of uh, something creative that happens. When he says that, it brought forth light, and through the light, he created everything else. And the Hebrew people say that the moment that the word of God ceases to be spoken on the face of the earth, that literally the framework of the universe will begin to fall apart. Now, we know on a scientific level that the framework of the universe is elemental. We know there's a periodic table and a certain number of elements that make up everything in the universe, atoms and subatomic particles. It's interesting that Peter wrote in one of his epistles that the the next time God brings or allows destruction on the earth, it will be when he allows the loosing of the elements. In other words, when the framework of the universe falls apart, this will be when the destruction comes that brings in the return of Jesus Christ. The Bible also prophesies that in the end times there will be a famine Not of food, not of water, but of the hearing of the word of God. When we put all of that together, it makes literal sense. That the less that the word of God is spoken upon the face of the earth, the less strength that exists in the framework that holds our entire universe together, because it is that spoken word that was used to create it. So as soon as the mouths of the prophets, the preachers, the teachers, the evangelists, the apostles, and the children, the men and the women of God... The more that we are shut down, the less that we are able to speak the word of God, the less of that creative nature and fabric is loosed into the universe. That framework can begin to break down and the elements will be loosed and destruction will come. The good news is we still win. The point that I'm making is this. Have we become so blessed? In America, have you become so blessed in your own life? That the word of God is relegated to the back burner because it's no longer cool to give God the credit for the blessings. We need to learn how to give ourselves credit for the blessings so that we can take our young ones and teach them how they can eventually become productive members of society and use their own strengths and use their own advantages so that they can. Uh, ascertain the same level of success. We'll label it the American dream. We'll leave God out of it. We'll blame it on education. We'll blame it on responsibility. We'll blame it on good credit. We'll blame it on everything else and say, if you do all of these things that a person is able to do, and you're as good as me, and you're as responsible as me, you can have all the amazing things that I can have one day. Well, God. Well, Daddy, well, Mommy, what about God? Is he, Yeah, 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 God, God is good, and God's a blesser. That's why we go to church on Sunday, sometimes on Wednesday. Really not on holidays, only on certain holidays. Christmas and Easter, yes, Memorial Day, not so much. So... That, yeah, God, God, God is good, and that's, that's great, and we're believers. We're Christians because we're American. But you also have to understand, son, daughter, it's really not God that's blessing you. It's following the American dream. It's your education It's the grades that you make in high school so that you can get a a, a scholarship and go to a good college. And it's the grades that you make in college so that you can get a degree at a university so that you can graduate. So in the job market, they'll see that your diploma, which 99% of the people don't use in the industry that they actually end up in. But, hey, we have it. It only costs us $200,000. And in about 15 years, you'll make that money back and be able to pay it off. And eventually, you'll be able to turn around and tell somebody else, look what I did. In the back of your mind, you'll be going, it took forever. It cost me everything. I'm still paying student loans. But, hey, look what I did. Look what you can do. America, the land of opportunity. Our founding fathers had a different idea. America, yes, land of opportunity, opportunity for religious freedom. They begged God for blessings and they received it. Great fear came upon all the church, upon as many as heard these things. Is your relationship falling apart? Maybe God's trying to give you an opportunity. To usher in a great fear of the Lord once again. Maybe your eyes have been too focused on that relationship. Is your marriage falling apart? There's an answer. And you're not going to like it, but you should love it. It's the word of God. Your sons and your daughters, are they far from the Lord? Are they involved and mixed up in bad things? Do you want to know the answer? Why was it good at one time and now it's falling apart and it's been bad for so long? God's given you an opportunity. He's given you an Ananias and a Sapphira in hopes that great fear again will come upon the people. God is the answer. Were your finances at one time good and getting better and then all of a sudden as you started rejoicing and what those finances could bring to your life, the cars, the houses, the clothes, the food, the the uh, status? Did it start to go downhill? Did it start to fall apart? Have you not figured it out yet? Ananias and Sapphira happened so that great fear has an opportunity to come back to the church, to come back to your life. At one time, were you going from good job to better job to better job, and now it's a worse job? Take the opportunity to allow great fear to come back into your life. If you're not sure if I'm right about this, think about all the great men of the Bible. Think about Joseph in his dream. Made it all the way to the most powerful man on the planet underneath Pharaoh. Was really, really good. Next thing you know, he's in prison. In the pit. Did he do anything wrong? No. He actually did some things right. Really right. And he ended up in the pit. Now, he could have sat down in the pit for the rest of his life and decided, you know what? I tried this God thing. I tried this church thing. I tried to do everything right. I'm just going to sit down in this pit and I'm just going to be depressed and I'm going to wallow in it. It doesn't work anyway. I'm just going to I'm just going to sit down here and, and wallow in this until one day I die. Because it's worthless. Or he could take the opportunity to allow the a fear of God back into his life. The Bible doesn't say, but perhaps he got a little bit caught up in the power. I don't know. Either way, he ended up in the pit. And he didn't lose that fear of God. He allowed it to grow and God gave him an opportunity. And before you know it, he was resurrected out of the pit. And the dream that he had in the very beginning, which actually wasn't realized under Pharaoh, was eventually realized on a second chance opportunity. Moses, raised up in Pharaoh's house, was called of God, and ended up dying of thirst in the desert. Not literally dying, but you know, I'm dying of thirst. Somebody gave him some water. Somebody was watering their camels and saw him. And he ended up from being one of the richest men in the world to one of the poorest men in the world. He finally answered the call of God and ended up becoming one of the most famous An amazing man of God that ever existed, but he never lost that healthy fear. He allowed it to grow. Isn't that you can throw anybody out, throw out a name, throw out uh, out an amazing man of the Bible. What you're going to see is they made it to a certain level of success that we would all love to be at, and then they were cut down, and in that down moment, they feared God, they believed in God, they worshipped God. That fear of God actually grew in their life, and they were raised up on a second chance opportunity even higher than they were before. Abraham begged for the promise of a son. He was given his son, and he got to rejoice in that for many years. And then God said, I want you to sacrifice your son. Abraham didn't flinch. He didn't question. I'm sure he was sad about that. But he feared God. He came down the mountain with his son and ended up becoming the father of us all. Noah, same thing. Jesus, same thing. Can you imagine Jesus Christ himself walking around the earth for three and a half years, casting out demons, everybody that he touched was healed, giving back sight, giving back hearing, um, helping the lame to walk, speaking prophetically into people's lives, reading their mail, doing amazing miracles, uh, all, the, all the most amazing things you could possibly think of on the face of the earth, and then eventually humiliated, Beat half to death, would have been beat to death if it wasn't for the spirit of God inside of him. Hung on a cross in between two thieves, completely humiliated, stripped naked, beaten, made fun of. Feared God. Where's he at now? Last I checked, he was like king of the universe or something. So where are you at? What have you lost? What are you dealing with in your life right now? Don't miss the opportunity of an Ananias and Sapphira moment. Don't miss this opportunity to regain a healthy fear of God because what he has planned for you next will take you out unless you're going to glorify him in it. What he needs to teach you to do before he gives you the thing that he wants to give you, he needs to teach you and make sure he can trust you. With the ability to glorify him and give him the credit. Amen. Edgewater Church. Was two to three times bigger. Before than it is now. And before we spoke well of God. But whatever happens next. Wherever we end up, whatever size we end up. I guarantee you this. He has taught me a lesson. And I will never forget that this will be the church that God built. And the moment that somebody wants to say, man, Pastor Thad, or assistant pastors, uh, uh, Mindy, uh, whoever, this is amazing work that y'all have done. No, 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 no. You weren't here. It was not amazing work that we did. We did terrible work. But God is good and he deserves the glory.